0: The Pete Callender Show, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone numbers, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Yeah, see, I thought this, I thought for sure I was going to go for like two hours on the voter ID, but uh, I'm not going to be able to. Maybe I, I, I might continue it over till tomorrow. No, I'm not. We're gonna. I've got audio clips. We're gonna. I'm gonna run through them really quickly. So you are going to get the flavor of an understanding of the arguments, the oral arguments uh, that occurred in the North Carolina State Supreme Court earlier this week. Okay. So the the issue here is voter ID. Okay. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a lawsuit over the voter ID law that the General Assembly approved that would implement the state constitutional amendment. Okay? So we got to vote on it, right? We got to, uh, we voted for a constitutional amendment. The voters did. And that's a separate lawsuit as to whether or not we were even allowed to have that vote. The state Supreme Court's going to look at that issue too, because some Democrats are mad about that. And they're saying it's a usurper legislature. It's a different lawsuit. This lawsuit was handled in superior court And it has now made its way to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court said, we'll take this case, even though it shouldn't come to us yet. It should have gone to the Court of Appeals first. But the Supreme Court Democrats fast tracked it so they could hear it this week, a month before the election. Why? The general consensus is that they want to decide the case before they lose their majority right now. The state Supreme court is a four, three Democrat majority. And one of the seats is being vacated by a Democrat, Robin Hudson. She's uh, retiring. And so it's an open seat that's expected to become a Republican seat because Republicans tend to win judicial races statewide and is particularly in this atmosphere. And, uh, you have another seat that's up for election. There's only two of them. And that's also held by a Democrat, Sam Irvin, the fourth and, uh, if he So even if they just lose one, even if he keeps that seat, but they lose the open seat, Republicans then have a 4-3 majority. So this is obviously a play to get these issues settled because there isn't any, there's no reason, like voter ID would not be implemented for this election. There is an injunction right now from a lower court that would not have been lifted. So the even if it had been lifted, if it goes to the Court of Appeals, you could not lift it and have it apply for this election because the election's already underway, I think they call it the Purcell Rule, where they, you know, you don't you don't mess with elections while they're going on. Uh, well, yes, unless of course you need to get you know Joe Biden elected with mail-in ballots. Or something. But aside from that, the Purcell Rule says you don't change the rules of the election while it's going on, or even when it's too close. Because remember. You got boards of elections that have to print ballots. They got to send them out. You've got absentee windows, absentee balloting windows, and all the early voting windows. So there are a lot of things uh, statutorily uh, in you know on a in a in a chronological order. And when you start making rulings that mess with that, it it throws everything up in the air and it confuses voters and everything else. So they tend not to do it again unless you're trying to get Biden elected with uh, mail-in ballots. But uh, so uh, the the. Lower court says that the voter ID law that was passed after we approved it, after voters approved it, the the general assembly came in, they passed a law uh, and it had bipartisan support, but that doesn't matter. It was done in order to entrench the Republican majority. That's the premise of their case that the lower court, by the way, this lower court was a three judge panel. It was, two Democrats and a Republican, They uh, and the two Democrats uh, uh, sided with the Democrats. And they said, yes, we think that they did this in order to entrench themselves in power. And the rules that they adopted are the most expansive, most forgiving, most liberal rules for voter ID in America. And that's how they're going to entrench themselves, by letting as many people vote, even if you don't have an ID. That's how you entrench yourself, obviously. Yeah. by Yeah, obviously. You stop people from voting by giving them more ways to vote. Duh. This is what passed for an argument at the lower court, at the superior court level. Okay. Um, So here's Peter Patterson. Uh, He is an attorney for the state legislature. You're going to hear two different bills, two different numbers. One is... A House bill, 589, that's the old bill. That was the original one that got passed and it got struck down in the courts and they fought over that. And and the the lefties in the robes up in uh, Washington, D.C. on the U.S. Supreme Court said, we think this is uh, racial animus. And so uh, and meanwhile, the Republican uh, the Republican appointees were like, yeah, it it could also be explained by partisanship because they were like, if you're looking to do things based on Democrat versus uh, Republican and the racial data lines up. It looks very similar. You're, you're you're assuming motive, whatever. It doesn't matter. Point here is that's the old bill. That one is not in play. 589, that's the old one. The one that got passed was 824. So just remember, bigger number, 8 versus 5, 824. Bigger number, that's the one that passed, all right? So Peter Patterson, representing the attorney for the legislature, he says that the Superior Court's determination that Senate Bill 824 was motivated by a desire to entrench Republicans, this this. Supreme, uh, the the lower court's determination that this was all designed to keep Republicans in power, he says, uh, and the reason and and how they were going to do this was by targeting black voters. The lawyer for the uh, legislature says that is not supported either by any of the, it's not supportable as a matter of law, he said, or as a matter of fact.
1: Take a listen. With respect to the facts, there are two in particular that demonstrate the unsoundness of the Superior Court's ruling. First is that five Democrats voted for SB 824. And there is no explanation for why five Democrats would vote for a bill designed to entrench Republicans. And the Superior Court had no explanation for that fact.
0: Yeah, that seems weird, right? Hey, if it's meant to entrench Republicans, why did these five Democrats vote for it? Are they secret Republicans or something? What's up with that? He also said the law and the judges at the lower level did not address it. See, this is the kind of thing that an appellate court would ask, and then you know try to get to the bottom of, maybe kick it back down or something, and then you would appeal based on that. But no, 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 we're going to go right to the uh, state supreme court because they're afraid they're going to lose their majority. All right. Uh, which, by the way, speaking of entrenching people for political reasons, anyway. Patterson then says that the law also goes out of its way to ensure anyone who wants to vote can do so, regardless of whether or not they have an I.D. See, in the original bill, House Bill 589, that was also struck down by leftist lawyers wearing robes. um, There were 184 ballots out of more than two million that could not vote due to the I.D. law. 184 ballots out of two million. That could not vote due to the ID law. First
1: of all, 184 is not much of a basis upon which to build an entrenchment theory. True. But but there's more than that. The General Assembly took at least six steps to drive that number lower. First is the expansion of the number of qualifying IDs, adding student IDs and state and local government employee IDs, which the General Assembly was criticized for excluding from HB 589 because they were disproportionately held by racial minorities. But also was the creation of the free, no documentation voter IDs available at uh, early voting locations in each county, which, um, again, is disproportionately used by African-Americans. So no General Assembly intent on entrenchment would do that.
0: OK, so hear what he just said. They were originally criticized under the old bill because they did not include city ID, government issued ID if you're an employee, uh, or state employee issued IDs which are in the latest bill. So that seemed like they made a remedy, right? They, they said, okay, here was the criticism of the last bill. Let's put them in. Or what about this other one? A free, no document, uh, no documentation voter ID. (laughs) A no documentation ID that you could vote with. That seems like a remedy too.
1: The Superior Court said, well, there's no explanation for why you would accept federal government employee IDs, but not public assistance IDs. But the law does not accept federal government employee IDs. So the Superior Court got this basic
0: (coughs) fact about the law incorrect. That's a problem, too. When the Superior Court is making its ruling and it's clearly misinformed about what the law does or does not do, and also, by the way, on the no documentation voter ID, They also thought that the eligibility period for that, for this free no-documentation ID, was one year. It's actually 10 years, so they got that part of it wrong, too. So they didn't even know what the provisions of the law were that they were claiming was unconstitutional and was designed to entrench the Republican Party. Even though a pretty big part of it was that they were not accepting federal IDs because the criticism was, well, wait, federal employees, they tend to be more white, So you're going to take their ID, but you're not going to take public assistance IDs who tend to be not white. That was their argument. But that's not true. They're not taking any of those IDs. But they are taking city and state IDs. That's interesting. And, of course, the no documentation voter ID. So they made half a dozen changes from the old bill to the new bill to make it more protective of voters. More protective, more forgiving, more expansive right so so more people would be able to vote it's the most forgiving law in the land and it's still not good enough for the leftists news talk 1110 993 WBT going over the state Supreme court oral arguments that were heard this week on voter ID. First up is Peter Patterson. He is an attorney for the legislature and uh, he's, he made the argument that the lower court made mistakes as a matter of law. He made, uh, they made mistakes as a matter of fact that they essentially shifted the burden of proof onto the defendants and He cited passages that clearly stated that they had done such a thing. Now, the plaintiffs in the case, which is the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, which, by the way, is the organization that uh, one of the Supreme Court justices now overseeing this case, listening to the oral arguments and engaging in the discussion in the arguments with both of the parties. Anita Earls, um, uh, she uh, was one of the founding members of the Southern Coalition for Social Justice. But don't you worry. That's not a conflict. She can totally put that aside. Because democracy. So uh, six changes were actually made to the voter ID bill after the initial bill got thrown out by another group of leftists in uh, uh, in robes. And uh, one of these changes, there were six of them made. One of them was the addition of more forms of IDs. Uh, there was also an expansion of what's called the reasonable impediment process, right? So the original focused on people who had a reasonable impediment to getting an ID. So, oh, I can't afford one. I can't get to the DMV. I don't even know what my name is, right? Oh, I don't have a birth certificate. All of these impediments to getting an ID. And the new law expanded this reasonable impediment excuse to not just uh, obtaining an ID, but also to now cover Uh, People who could not present an ID when voting.
1: So, for example, now people who forget their ID at home would have that process opened up to them. Uh, There was a elimination of the requirement to present an alternative ID in order to have a reasonable impediment ballot count. There was eliminated ballot challenges to reasonable impediment IDs. And they also got rid of subjective reasons to discount reasonable impediment ballots. And then finally, the sixth thing is mandated education. There were four mailings that were required to be sent to every household in the state stating that all voters can vote with or without ID. So as the uh,
0: district court in the district. Of- all right, so now, consider that a voter ID law that tells people you can vote with or without an ID. And this is still not good enough. <laughs> this is still discriminatory. This is still you know, racial intent or something. This is meant to entrench the supermajority. Telling people, hey, we have voter ID, but don't worry if you don't have an ID, you can still vote. That is meant to entrench the Republicans. This is what their argument was, and this is what they, they judge shopped or form shopped, right? They went around, they found a judge that would agree with them, uh, and then they, they got the ruling they wanted. And rather than go through the Court of Appeals, where Republicans control the majority of those seats... And they would likely then rule against the lower court. The Supreme Court, controlled by Democrats, fast-tracked the lawsuit so they would hear it before the election. So they could try to put a ruling in place to toss the voter ID law out to make the General Assembly start all over again once Democrats lose their majority on the state Supreme Court. That's the play. That's what's going on here. But let's listen to more uh, more audio. This is going to be—you're going to hear Mike Morgan— He's one of the uh, judges. He's the guy who beat Bob Edmonds, I believe, um, which is weird because I always heard you can't beat Bob Edmonds, it's like that restaurant. Anyway, uh, anyway, yeah. So this is Mike Morgan, and listen to this exchange. You're going to hear Morgan. He's he's hunting around for uh, legal reasoning. That's what he's that's what he's trying to find, and this is based off of what, well. This is based off what Democrats have been saying. So you're going to hear him start hunting around.
1: Columbia, in pre-clearing a South Carolina voter ID law, said a sweeping reasonable impediment provision, expansion of number of IDs, making it easier to obtain IDs, and mandated uh, outreach and education all undermine any finding of racially discriminatory intent. And all of the same is true here. And the Superior Court ignored these changes. And that's the legal error that we point to is that the Superior Court essentially flipped burden of proof and presumed bad faith on behalf of the General Assembly.
0: Right. Flipped the burden of proof and presumed bad faith by the General Assembly, which adopted all of these remedies, all of these fixes. And it didn't matter. They still got sued. The Superior Court said
1: that 62 members of the General Assembly voted for HB 589 and SBA 24, focusing more on who they were rather than what they did. And in that same paragraph, there was a discussion of a presentation by then Executive Director Strock, who had said that potentially hundreds of thousands of voters lacked ID and that the General Assembly was told this. But what the Superior Court ignored was that in that same presentation, Executive Director Strock said that in mailings to these individuals who had been identified from database matching lists, The vast majority of them that responded to those mailings said they, in fact, did have qualifying ID, 91 percent in one mailing and 76 percent in another mailing. So completely undermining uh, the validity of these sort of database matching exercises.
0: Oh, that's the wrong clip. No wonder why it didn't make sense. Here's Mike Morgan. Why would five Democrats
1: vote for a law meant to entrench Republicans? Spirit Court had no explanation for that. Why would a General Assembly go out of its way to make sure everyone can vote if uh, it was intending to prevent some people from voting? Right. There is no explanation for that. In terms, in terms of some of that what you've
2: said, in terms of looking at the factors in Arlington Heights and looking at some of what you've said as well about such things as the Democrats that voted for the Senate bill. Wasn't there some aspect, for example, uh, concerning the fact that some of the aspects of the bill weren't fully uh populated such as for example what ids would be accepted and perhaps some democrats voted for some things that had not been fully uh vetted or otherwise had not been uh, fully uh divulged or, or otherwise developed no your honor four of those democrats voted for the
1: final version of the bill right the only one that uh didn't was senator uh ben clark had voted for it in second reading out of the senate and then had, was absent from the concur when it came back from the house but the other Four Democrats, Senator Ford, Senator Don Davis, and Representatives Hall and Goodman all voted for the final version of the bill. They didn't all vote to override the veto, but they all voted for the bill in its final form.
0: Right. And the lower court had no explanation for it. Could not explain why five Democrats would vote for a bill to entrench Republicans. There's no explanation for it. Because it's different when Democrats do it. <laughs> News Talk 1110 ninety nine three WBT, going over some of the audio from the oral arguments you heard from the legislature's attorney Peter Patterson. This is Jeffrey Loperfito. He is the lawyer for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, and he argued that there no there was no improper shifting of any of the burden of proof as the legislature's attorney Patterson had alleged following
3: years of litigation culminating in a three-week trial the majority of a three-judge panel concluded that senate bill 824 violated the north carolina protection clause because it was enacted with the intent to discriminate against african-american voters the question before this court is whether that conclusion is supported by findings of fact based on competent evidence and the answer to that question is an unequivocal yes the 102-page majority opinion details at length a substantial, competent evidence put forth by plaintiffs to satisfy their burden under the Arlington Heights burden-shifting framework.
0: All right. That is something. Uh, that evidence considered. All right. Hang on. That's something important. The Arlington Heights burden-shifting framework. Arlington Heights was another case. This is disparate impact kind of stuff. I know. It's like day two we're talking about. Disparate impact where you can take data and you can lay the data out and say, See? There's a disparate impact. And so if you get enough of these pieces, we can kind of weigh them all together in different factors and racist, right? Like, that's the that's the conclusion they've drawn. This was what the OK well, was over 100, hundred hundred pages. Well, 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 reasoned then. Uh, no, because remember one of the earlier cases on the voter I.D. that the Republican judge did? It was like 500 pages. You guys didn't seem to care about that. Well, no, you. The length of the opinion doesn't matter. Only if, right, only if it advances your agenda. That's true.
3: The totality of the circumstances supported the trial court's final determination that the Republican supermajority enacted Senate Bill 824, at least in part, to entrench itself by burning the voting rights of African-American voters who in North Carolina reliably vote Democratic.
0: That's their argument, that that the Republicans did this law in order to entrench or in order to discriminate against black voters, knowing that black voters vote like 90 plus percent for Democrats. And so if they could discriminate against black people, then that would keep them entrenched in power. And they somehow or another convinced black Democrats to agree with him on the bill. That's how devious those Republicans are. They were able to convince black Democrats to vote for a voter ID bill that discriminates against black Democrats.
3: It was then and only then that the trial court shifted to defendants to demonstrate that Senate Bill 824 would have been passed without discrimination as a motivating factor, a burden they were unable to carry. Defendants not surprisingly take issue with some of the inferences drawn by the trial court based on this evidence and their briefing is filled with countless examples of where they believe the more plausible interpretation is one in their favor and you heard about them in their opening argument and they come here today requesting that this court partake in that same exercise but it is not the function of this court uh to weigh that evidence and as this court has repeatedly stated a trial court's finding of fact are conclusive on appeal if there's competent evidence to support them even though the evidence could be viewed as supporting a different finding
0: there you go well, we got competent evidence obviously because the lower court said it it's competent Totally in our opinion, but it's competent evidence, so you're not even supposed to be looking at this. You're not supposed to just reject what they said. See, we won at the lower level, so nanny, nanny, boo-boo, this is the way it is. And if you could just go ahead and rubber stamp this, so this way we could throw all of this out uh, right before you guys lose your re-election. He argued that the GOP supermajority could have done this right if they had gone more slowly and gotten more Democrats to offer... Proposals and amendments.
3: The Republican supermajority tried to, to cram through this bill before they lost power on the, you know, the day after started the process on the day after the decision in Covington, which uh, you know set off alarms in their head that their supermajority was soon going to be over, and that they wanted to take this extraordinary opportunity to put something on the constitutional uh, uh, to the voters um, prior to an opportunity to actually vote for uh, uh, n- new representatives. I mean, those things have to be considered. So if you kind of remove some of the factors as it relates to each of the pieces of evidence that we put forth uh, in our case-in-chief, surely there's a, there's a scenario where the, the General Assembly can, can pass a, a constitutional law. And even the trial court even contemplates that, um, consistent with our theory of entrenchment, consistent with what, you know, defendant's expert professor Callanan even noted, Uh, that this is sort of rational behavior of a legislature trying to entrench itself by passing a more stringent law before they have the opportunity for a more watered-down bill um, to be presented.
0: Interesting. So a more watered-down bill. I'm not sure, actually, how you get a more watered-down bill than what the Republican General Assembly passed with the help of five Democrats. I'm not sure what a more watered-down bill looks like, except maybe... You don't. I mean, literally, there's a provision with the mailer that says we have voter ID, but don't worry if you don't have an ID, you don't bring it with you. Uh, it's not going to stop you from voting anyway. What is more watered down than that? The attempt to ram through a policy agenda item before losing the power to do so. Right. That's essentially the rub here. That the Republicans saw they were going to lose their supermajority. So they threw the ballot initiative up. They let us vote on whether we wanted a voter ID enshrined in the Constitution. We said yes by a landslide victory. North Carolina voters said yes, we want voter ID. And so then the Republican legislature took what they had been told in the previous court cases against the previous voter ID bills. They took that information. They did a new bill. They got five Democrats on board and they passed the law. But they had a supermajority. I mean, yes, they had five Democrats, but this was all done to entrench themselves. And there's no explanation for why the Democrats would help them do so. So an attempt to ram through an agenda item before losing power to do so. You mean sort of like the North Carolina Supreme Court is doing uh, right now by hearing this case? ahead of the November election where Democrats are worried they're going to lose the ability to rule on this case after losing the election? You mean something like that? Is that what's going on? That's what you're telling me happened and that's what's so wrong? Oh my gosh, I'm so outraged. See what I mean? The charge of hypocrisy carries no purchase anymore. These are the rules. Everyone is playing by them. So no, I'm not exactly outraged when your adversaries play by the rules that you yourself are playing by too. Now here's the other thing. They ignore in all of this any kind of ability to decipher what the Democrat motive might be in any of this, right? You have Democratic uh, legislators that are not interested in passing any kind of voter ID, period. They will block any voter ID. One of the experts that these plaintiffs brought in in the April trial, I watched it, her name was... Uh, Dr. Carol Anderson, I believe. And she opposes any form of voter ID. And that is a not small contingent of the Democrat Party. So, yeah, Republicans knew they were they were probably under a timeline to get something passed. And just because they pushed it through with Democrat support. As quickly as they did. That does not mean they were attempting to entrench themselves. It means they knew Democrats wouldn't go along with it once they lost more seats. And they value this piece of legislation. They value election integrity. So they're trying to get anything on the books because they know you won't do it. And if they don't have a big enough majority, there are so many of you guys that will oppose it. Because for some reason, you don't think people need to identify themselves when they go vote. I'm sure purely just for, you know, racially disparate impact reasons. Sure, that's the only reason. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. I mentioned this expert witness that helped win the case for the plaintiffs in the lower court on voter ID. Her name is Dr. Carol Anderson. She's out of, uh, I think she's out of... uh, Emory in Atlanta and um, she talked about you know the the historical record in North Carolina Jim Crow era laws that were uh, meant to suppress black voters which they did um and uh I believe there was another expert who then testified about uh, uh you know whenever there's this rise in black voting power there is a white backlash against it um and then she talked about uh, all voter IDs are suppression they are all manifestations, also, of white rage, which is an ideology born of white supremacy. She said, "Which is what State Senator Joel Ford was obviously suffering from when he signed on to this bill. He was a Democrat uh, senator who supported the voter ID law. He was suffering from white rage as well, and he's a black man. <laughs> That's what Dr. Carol Anderson. But apparently." Uh, she did not know that Joel Ford, a Black Democrat suffering from the white rage, was a primary co-sponsor of the bill. She did not know that when deposed. Let me go over here to Richard. Hey, Richard, welcome to the program. How are you?
2: Hey, how's it going? Uh, hey, happy good. to be African American. Uh, the destruction that they have done to New York State, California. Uh, Washington, Baltimore, Seattle, they want to do here in New York State. It's so insulting that as an African-American, somehow I'm so stupid that I can't get an ID. What I'm manda- mandated to get an ID so I can get a vac- a, va- a vaccination, an experimental drug to put in my system, <laughs> and I have to get an ID for that. Right. So these are the crazies coming from North Carolina and if you allow them to get control they will destroy your state all under the guise of discrimination
0: yeah no i yeah i agree and look and all it's going to take and this is the thing that so terrifies uh the democratic party is that all it's going to take for democrats to lose any ability to win really anything at a national level and even at most state level all it's going to take is black voters to split their votes among both parties like any other racial group they don't have to go majority republican they just if they just uh if they go to like a level uh like hispanic voters are at then democrats won't ever win again that's the exactly. thing that yeah that's the thing that terrifies that's why and i've told this story before that's why there is such a focus on racial politics by the left that's why everything is through this prism of race There was a political benefit for them to do so um, because uh, this was a story that was relayed to us by um, the former chief of staff for the former lieutenant governor here in North Carolina. His name was Dan Forrest. And uh, Hal Weatherman was the chief of staff. Dan and and Hal go up to Philadelphia for some big event of the original 13 colonies. All the governors are up there at some, you know, Liberty Bell thing or something. And uh, Terry McAuliffe, Virginia's governor, Democrat, talking with Ed Rendell. Pennsylvania's governor, Democrat, they think that uh, uh, Dan Forrest is also a Democrat because he's the lieutenant governor, and they knew that Roy Cooper was a Democrat. But they thought it was a it was a two person ticket, not a split ticket. So they assumed that the Republican lieutenant governor was a Democrat, and they told them at the meeting before they found out. They told them. The reason why we're suing them over their the legislative maps and the voter ID, they're like, we're just trying... To, if we win, great, that's gravy. The whole point, though, is to, uh, to push out to the public the idea that the Republicans are doing these things because they're racist. And that is designed to keep yeah. black voters voting Democrat. That's Can the only reason. One, one yep. Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: I think this is another reason why they have the borders wide open, because... If I may be, I don't want to be too crude, but they want to import more slaves to the Democratic Party. So that's why they have the border wide open, because maybe black people are actually waking up. I, I sure have many, many years ago. So the Democratic Party are the real, I really believe that they're the real problem here. Mm. And they want to keep African-Americans in this uh, uh, the state of mental slavery that we're just going to keep voting for them and uh, you know falling for the uh, banana in the tailpipe, so
0: to speak. Well, this is—it's one of the things. If if um, if people, if politicians realize that they have to uh, that, that they have to deliver for their constituents in order to win reelection, they become more responsive to those constituents. And I'm just kind of curious as to what exactly, and I'm not the first person to ask this, but what exactly have the Democrats delivered for black voters, for a constituency? You know they, you know, they,
2: they have delivered weed. They've delivered alcohol. They've delivered a horrible school system. They've delivered CRT and more abortion. That's what they've delivered. And the breakdown of the, of the African-American family. That's what they have, that, that's what they have delivered.
0: Right. And so, right. And at some point, if you then uh, like if you uh, if you are able to then break up that voting block, and the votes are now in play, you're going to have both parties actually trying to respond and address uh, the need, uh, the the needs of those and the desires of that constituency. And in fact, there are some outreach efforts in North Carolina going on along these lines. And it's funny because there are people writing stories from the left and they're very concerned because these Republican aligned groups are going out and they're just meeting with people and they're doing cookouts and movie nights and family game nights and stuff. And they're very upset. The left is very upset about this because uh, like, Oh my gosh, why are there? are no websites. What are they doing? They're not knocking on doors, but they're phone banking. And they're actually, you know, breaking bread with families. <laughs> <laughs> can't no. that. Yeah, Exactly. Richard, I appreciate the call, buddy. Thanks Thank a lot. I right, man. take it easy. Um, yeah, I do. There was one other point on this voter ID uh, original lawsuit. The other expert witness, this guy from uh, UNC Chapel Hill, James Lealutis, he, uh, he he cited all of the past discrimination, as did Dr. Carol Anderson, all of the past efforts against African-Americans in North Carolina. And you know what they ignored? They were all done by Democrats. <laughs> they talked about the Wilmington race riots and Jim Crow. And they were those were all things done by Democrats. All right, see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.